0: And the glory is our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the message and the hope of the gospel. Well, truth be told, I rushed back there to change, stepped behind my desk to grab my notes. The snow was falling. I thought, I'm going to grab a cup of coffee, just look at the snow, think about these kids, and I wonder what they'd do without me. Well, I don't know what you'd do without me. But every once in a while, it's important to be reminded that we all have a role. We wouldn't know what to do without all of you as you serve in the church and as you minister on behalf of Jesus Christ and as you do what God has called you to do in faithfulness here at First Baptist Church in Johnson City. We're reflecting in this Christmas season on a passage of Scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to continue to ask you to consider these things in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. The setting, of course, is the Apostle Paul. He's been wrestling and struggling with his own issues in his personal life, his own health, his his sense of responsibility for these young men that he's entrusted for the ministry. And as he begins to wind down his ministry in Timothy's life and eventually face his martyrdom, he wanted to travel to the church there at Ephesus and give them some encouragement to stay the course, to keep on keeping on, to do what God has called them to do. And in order to give them encouragement, he reminds them of what God has called them to do. In this particular text, he reminds them through a, a creed or, or an old ancient hymn. He gives us six different stanzas that reflect on the responsibility of the local church and leading up to that, he calls Timothy to a place of faithfulness. He calls the church to a place of faithfulness. He calls God's people to a place of faithfulness, and he begins to underline the most important things that the church, the local church, in particular Timothy, and that church of Ephesus was responsible to do. So he writes in verses 14 and on, "'I hope to come to you soon,' But I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And here is the hymn or, or the ancient creed. It was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. As we remind ourselves this morning of Paul's reminder, that blossoming church in Ephesus and this young pastor, Timothy, it's important that we keep things in perspective, that we make first things the first things, that we do the main thing before we get to the second and the third and the fourth thing. But our lives have changed drastically in the last 20 years. We have filled our schedule with appointments and responsibilities. Our phones ping and ding and vibrate and ring and grab our attention almost every minute of the day, and almost as if we're running around like chickens with our head cut off. Very busy, but I wonder what we're really accomplishing. That can happen in the church. It can happen in the local church. You can be so busy doing important things that that sometimes the most important thing gets crowded out a little bit. Timothy had big shoes to fill as he is filling in as Paul's representative in Ephesus. I imagine there are a thousand things coming his way, and he's learning how to, to, to minister and oversee in his calling the local church, That involves, as you look at the text, choosing leaders and how those leaders operate. It involves so many other different aspects to local church ministry. It's a warning about departure from the faith. It's, it's how to serve well. And, and he says in, in the end of chapter 4 that he is to, to not neglect these gifts but to minister faithfully the things that Paul called him to do. He talks about the relationship of those elders, first as office… And those older individuals who are members of the church at Ephesus, who had responsibilities for the widows and the affliction the orphans. He calls us to have a good reputation, to live a wholesome life, to, to pass on the faith to another generation, and all at the same time, being careful to detect the false teachers and find a place that we are truly content with doing the will of God in the local church. For his glory. Paul kind of rounds out his statements by telling this young pastor to fight the good fight, to stay faithful in the task, to do good toward all people and to guard the deposit entrusted to him. As a pastor, what was entrusted to him was the word. As a pastor, what was entrusted to him were the people of God saved by the blood of Christ in the city of Ephesus. What was entrusted to him to oversee the church, to make sure they were doing the right things and doing them well, to make sure the doctrine and the theology were true and right, and most importantly, to celebrate and to herald and to champion the gospel. And the gospel is not just that final week in the life of Jesus Christ, where we remember that He died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that He was buried and raised again. The gospel is even seen in the early pages of the book of Genesis, Genesis 3, in fact. And all throughout the Scriptures, we are pointed to this Christ, the Son of the living God, the Savior of the world that is Him. It is Him we represent. It is Him we serve. It is Him we minister to. It is the Word that has been entrusted to us, and the church remains a a pillar and a buttress of the truth in an increasingly pagan age as we reveal the mystery of godliness to an ungodly world in the person of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that You'd bless us the brief moments we spend in this text this morning. As we remember what our calling is, as we remember some of our responsibilities, as we remember how a church operates, I pray that You would find us faithful pray that you find every individual faithful. I pray that you would find every individual exercising their gifts, that you would find every individual serving in the local church, that you would find every individual praying even for these young people who came and gave clear testimony of their faith this morning, that you would find us faithful in an increasingly pagan age not to compromise one single thing, but encourage, stand upon the truth of the Word of God and the reality that neither is their salvation in any other. In the midst of that faithfulness, I pray that you would call our families to be faithful, critically faithful as they share the hope and truth of the Scriptures with their children, some having opportunity to lead them to Christ, the Savior, to train them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and prepare them the things and the things that lie ahead. And as the world continues to change, I pray that you would... Teach them all to guard this deposit, this hope, this promise and blessing. Remind their children that it is about Christ. Remind us it's a church, it is about the gospel. And remind us what our duties and responsibilities are, what they remain from the beginning of the establishment of Your church, and may we fulfill them in a way and in a life of obedience, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The text, As Paul says, I'm not sure I can come back, Timothy. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to make the trip. Perhaps his plans were thwarted. Perhaps they were just pushed back a little bit. We know that in verse 15 they were de- delayed. But he says, I wanted an opportunity yet again to remind you how to behave in the house of God. When he's talking about behavior, he's talking about the role of the local church. Perhaps we ought to do a couple of messages about decorum and how you ought to behave when you come into the house of God, but there's no way he's talking about here. He's not talking about ties or attire or versions of Scripture or some of those things that uh, we make most important. He is talking about what God has called us to as a family in a local church and how we ought to conduct ourselves in the household of God. What a precious reminder that this isn't our church. It never was our church. It is the church of the living God through Jesus Christ in the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I am so thankful that the gates of hell are not dependent upon my faithfulness. No, this is Christ's church. It is the church of the living God. And that's an important reminder to those in leadership, in fact, to all people in the context of a local church. But most importantly, he points out that the local church is a pillar and a buttress of the truth. A pillar, that which holds up the most important thing: a buttress, a foundation, if you would, uh, upon which everything else rests. We would understand, of course, that foundation, to be Christ, to be Christ alone, to be the gospel that has been entrusted to the believers, not just for their individual salvation, but for their calling and behavior, their demeanor and their teaching in the context of the local church. We reminded you last week that the people who received this letter had in mind the pagan temple of Diana, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and these vast pillars that were on display, gifts of kings. Paul said, hey, listen, you are the pillar and the buttress of the truth. You are the ones that stand for and hold up the truth on the foundation of Jesus Christ. That is a high calling. It is our task, our task solely as a local church to lift up, to hold up, to exalt the truth in the pagan land, and to preach the whole context of the Scriptures. It is our job. It is our responsibility. It is my calling. And I pray, as long as you're continuing to be willing to have me, that I will do it until such time that God calls me away or to a different thing. I pray that this church would always collectively be rooted and grounded in that gospel and the whole counsel of God. I pray that corporally everything that we say and do would be resting upon those pillars and foundations, the foundation of Christ and the pillar of the truth. But every one of you has a responsibility to uphold those things. I'm particularly reminded this morning the age of many of those who came for baptism of the importance of the family, of a mom and a dad telling the truth and living the truth and upholding the truth in the context of their own home. It is a great responsibility indeed, Paul says, this seventh wonder of the world, this temple of Diana, pales in comparison to the responsibility that we have received of God through Jesus Christ. Christ. So, we confess. We make it a practice to continue to say the same thing over and over and over again. Oftentimes, I'm criticized. You just talk about the same things over and over again, about Jesus Christ and His Lordship. No apology. I will do it till the day I die, because it's not about you, and it's not about me. It is about Him. And our collective call is to champion the foundation that we have in Christ and the truth that we've delivered in this mystery of godliness, that which was once revealed in the Old Testament and now made clearly known through the person of Jesus Christ. It is a true truth, a great truth, and nothing in the world compared to it. It was the gospel. And Paul constantly took the opportunity to preach the gospel, whether it be to the Jews or the Gentiles in the way or in the context of a local church. The preaching of the gospel was the critical thing. And then in this creed and hymn, he reminds us of six different components. He says, He was manifest in the flesh. He was made known to us. He was, he was revealed to us in the flesh. He was made visible. And they beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth according to john in his gospel and to many as believed on him to them he gave the power the right to become the children of god it is a glorious gospel made known to us through the life of christ and through his works and he was indeed the son of the living god the savior of the world the fulfillment of all of the promises of the old testament and we're reminded of that in a season like this as we celebrate his manifestation god with us. The birth in the manger. Everything in his life and ministry vindicated the reality that indeed this was the Son of God. We see the angels ministering. We see his his teachings. We see his miracles. We, we see His message of, of, of hope and promise. We remind ourselves of all that is made known in Scripture, and the resurrection itself bears out the reality that indeed this was the Son of God. I think of the centurion. We read about it last week. It was at the foot of the cross at the moment that Christ gave up His Spirit The world shook with an earthquake, and graves were open, and darkness came upon the earth. And this unbelieving pagan centurion said, truly, this is the Son of God. That is what we champion. That is what we herald. It was vindicated by the Spirit of God over and over and over in the sinless life of Christ and His obedience to the Father and in the glorious resurrection, for He who was without sin, became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus did not die because of His own sin. He was the perfect sacrifice and Lamb of God. He died for your sins and for my sins. And the resurrection is a vindication that He didn't die for His sins. He was the perfect Son of God. importance of the local church is rooted in that reality. He was manifest in the flesh. There's some question and even debate today, should the church take out time in these ending months of the year to really focus on Christmas? What else are we going to do? That's where the gospel is rooted. He was manifest in the flesh. The plan of God had come to fruition. Of course we will talk about it. Of course we will celebrate. Of course we'll be reminded of the pillar and buttress of the truth, the church, and the story of the gospel in Christ alone. He was manifest in the Spirit. He was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels or ministered to through angels, whether it's on the hills to the shepherd, To the angels that announce He is not here for He is risen, come and see the place where the Lord lay. Or perhaps He has in mind the ministry of the angels today who sing in unison, holy, holy, holy. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. He's proclaimed among the nations. That is our job. That is our calling, that's our responsibility, to go and preach the gospel to every creature, to go and give hope to a hopeless world, to tell the truth. It's not my truth, it's not your truth, it's not one particular way or another way, it is simply the truth, and it's summed up in this ancient hymn and creed. We are called to go and proclaim Him among the nations, and even to the least of these. One of the reasons that I love baptism so much, particularly with children, is their innocence, their simple faith, their ability to grasp the truth, and the proclamation of that truth in First Baptist and in their families that brought them to the place where the Holy Spirit has called them to salvation in Christ alone. They might be the least of these but they're not of least importance. And it's not that I didn't want to come back in here. I'd love to sit with a cup of coffee and look out the window at the snow and spend some time praying for these young people because they're, they're making a commitment in a world that is ever-changing. The things that they are going to face, we've never faced. Oh, I know. You walk to school, Three miles in the snow, uphill both ways. This is a different world. We must pray that God protects their spirits, that God protects their minds, that God protects their families, and that God protects them from the evil one in this world. And he is seeking whom he may devour. And how do we protect them? We proclaim him among the nations, we stay faithful to our calling. We remind them it is about the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and we point them to the hope that they have in Him. And we fulfill the Great Commission, a Great Commission that Jesus provides to His disciples in Matthew chapter 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold… I am with you always to the end of the age. Before we move past this particular phrase proclaimed among the nations, this is an important time to remind you of our role and responsibility as a local church, and why perhaps we do things the way we do them here at First Baptist. Last week, we gathered together at a table of remembrance. We had the Lord's Supper together to remember His death until He come that Lord's table is to point us back to the gospel. It is to point us back to Christ and to Christ alone. It is to point us back to grace and mercy and peace through God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. It's to remind us, that it is that very gospel that sustains us in the darkest age, glory in the darkest place. And if you are in a dark place, God is still glorious, and the message is still true, and we still… Have a responsibility. Today, we showed you the gospel through the waters of baptism that represents the death to self, the burying of our sins, the resurrection to newness of life, a symbol of what has happened the moment we accepted Christ as Savior. That's critically important. At the end of the service, we're going to act like a church. And as a local church, we will cast a vote. Call someone as an interim pastor. That's an important vote. That's your role. That's your place. Everybody has a part in this. But it's all for the glory of God in Jesus Christ alone. You say, but, Pastor, is the gospel all that matters? So much I want to pull an RC sprawl on you. What's wrong with you people? Nothing else matters if the gospel isn't first, if salvation isn't first. If forgiveness isn't first, if hope doesn't come through the gospel, nothing else matters. Oh, you can still do church, but without the gospel, it has no meaning. Of course it matters, and we never tire of that gospel, and we remind ourselves that nothing else matters without the gospel. And how are they to know the gospel? How are they to hear? We preach in season and out of season. The gospel of Jesus Christ from Genesis to Revelation. And we fulfill our responsibility for His glory alone. He has proclaimed among the nations. Seems at this time of year, if not a special sensitivity, at least an awareness that this is a different season. This season of remembrance of a Christ who is manifest in the flesh provides for us an opportunity to fill in the blanks, not in our, only in our families, and not only in our workplace, and not only here at church, but to, to every creature and to all nations, to fill in the blanks and to share with them this, this mystery of godliness in the person of Jesus Christ and be able to explain and expound the truth to all nations and every generation not on our own strength, but with a Christ who is always with us to the end of the age. Perhaps you ought to give some consideration this Christmas season of who you know that doesn't know. They may be close to you. Maybe your neighbors. Maybe, maybe someone you work with, or maybe it's simply someone you pass by in this crazy shopping season looks a little lost and down and broken, share with them that there is glory in the darkest place. There's glory in the King of kings and Lord of lords. There's glory in the gospel. Maybe you don't know anyone like that. But just like me, maybe you ought to be compelled to sit in the window and watch the snow and to consider these things because they're glorious things. And it's the reason that we celebrate. And it's Him we proclaim. And if God so moves through the ministry of His Holy Spirit, He is believed on in the world. These young people believed. These young people made a commitment. These young people need us to champion them, to cheer them, to remind them, to uphold them, to pray for them, and continually tell them Every time we get together. Isn't there something different? There is nothing different. It is Christ crucified in all of his glory to tell them so that they might be sustained as they believe in this world in the Christ, the Son of the Living God. The Christ that was taken up in glory is the testimony of the saints. And we testify in how we live. We testify. And what we say. We testify, and what we do. We testify from the platform. We testify in our Sunday schools. We testify in our Bible studies. We leave this place, and we testify in our homes, and we testify among our friends, and we tell of His glory, and we remind ourselves of what our responsibility continues to be in the house of the living God, and that is to preach Christ crucified, filled with glory. And we pray, and in light of that testimony by the divine Spirit of God, He might bring some to salvation. Not everyone's going to want to hear this. But everyone needs to know. And how shall they know unless we are sent? That is the glory, the season, that is the reminder of the truth. And it begins with Timothy and it ends with the least of these. And it's always about our Savior. I want to encourage you this morning as we enter into this season. It's not about the festivities. I shared with my Sunday school class or ABF last week, we talked about uh, some of these Christmas practices being traced back to pagan practices, and should should we do this or not? Should should we have trees that are lit and whatever? And I finally ended the class saying, I like them, so we're going to have them. (laughs) It adds a little bit to the season, but it doesn't change the message. It can never change the message. It can never get bigger than the message It is about Christ crucified and full of glory. I wonder what the response in heaven was at the baptism of these young people this morning. It was glorious. God did that in Jesus Christ. He let you be a part of that. He let us watch and be reminded and He's handed us the responsibility to hold them up in prayer and to show them this next generation who will be called to fulfill this creed or hymn how it ought to be done. May they know it and learn it and the people of God here at First Baptist and may it all be for His glory. Father, thank You. for the privilege and opportunity to again gather in this place to briefly reflect upon Your Word, to take some time to celebrate the faith and the life of these young people, to remind ourselves of what really matters most. And I pray, Father, to prepare ourselves and equip ourselves for ministry in this particular season in which we celebrate the manifestation of our Savior, Jesus Christ. No excuses. May it always be about You no excuses. May we continue to preach the lordship of Christ. No excuses. May we continue to say the same thing over and over and over again. Because It's not about our creativity or cleverness or our much speaking. It is about the truth contained in the pages of the book and the reality that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words. Until we stand with you in glory. Find us faithful at First Baptist and may your hand of blessing rest upon these young people that they keep their commitment and the power of your spirit surrounded by people who are praying and encouraging and looking out for them and may it all be for your glory. For the privilege of being here, we are grateful. Remind us of these simple truths and may it change us, not simply, but entirely through the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray.